So today I'll be reading from two books in the Bible. Um, first, we're going to start with what is on the screen with Luke twelve forty nine through 56. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? The the second scripture reading is from Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, the song of the vineyard. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge me between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. As he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. That is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer today? God, open our hearts. We might receive a word from you. As clay in the hands of the potter, O God, we pray that You might mold us and shape us into servants fit for the Master's use. Speak to us today, O God. May we be transformed, having encountered You. We pray in Christ's name. In college, I fell in love with the playwright Oscar Wilde. Now, uh, you may associate Oscar Wilde with... um, certain way of living and uh, excess and debauchery. and Certainly for much of his life, that typified his life. But I don't know if perhaps you know this, when he was quite sick and on his deathbed, he had a profound encounter with Jesus. and completely changed him. And I loved a picture of Dorian Gray and uh, other of uh, Oscar Wilde's plays. And in college, I came across a quote of his that... Um, I just love, and I'm reminded of it from time to time, sometimes especially if I have to have a difficult conversation. 
This is the quote. He said, if you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. (laughs) If you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. How many of you love it when somebody, maybe a spouse, somebody in your family, someone close to you, a trusted friend or confidant, comes to you and maybe speaks something that you know is true, but you'd rather not hear it. Have any of you encountered that situation? I've been there. A good friend speaks truth to us, don't they? A good friend doesn't lie. Even when lying may may placate things, it may make us feel better about ourselves, often we, we need to hear the truth. We live in what um, uh, I like to call, um, and others have termed our society this, that we live in a post-truth era. Post-truth era. There's a phrase that I have heard a lot over the last couple of years um, that is a new thing to me. Perhaps you've heard it too. Uh, Often someone speaks and they'll talk about my truth. And on one level, I understand that, right? In that, you know, we each have, have lived our lives in a, in a certain particular way, and things and experiences have happened to us that have shaped us that are unique to us. So if that's what someone means by my truth, then I understand that. However, I have also heard it in that what is true for me isn't necessarily true for you. And how dare you tell me what's true? Truth as a currency, as something that, that we can speak about and that there is sort of a, a, a common frame of reference that seems to be gone from our society, appeals to truth, to a standard for living, a, a code of conduct, or, or even to a God who reveals truth to us and to which we are accountable Claims like that don't seem to hold much weight in our society. And in fact, often if someone speaks in truth in those terms, they may face derision, mockery. Someone uh, saying, you you can't be one of those types. Truth. We seem to live in a time where it's difficult to speak about truth in those terms. And yet there are truth claims all around us all the time, aren't there? Just listen. Listen for uh, in conversation. Turn on media, social media. Turn on television. Read the newspaper. There are truth claims around us all the time. And by that I mean there are appeals to what is right and what is good. Even though we live in a society where people may believe that they may be different for everybody. But each one of us, and in the world around us, there are appeals to what is right and what is good and what is true. And as Christians, as people who believe that God in Christ came into the world and that we now have a standard that is Jesus Christ by which to measure competing truth claims, we can say, yes, this is right, or no, this is not. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, if you see the prophet Isaiah, the two scriptures that that Sam read for us this morning, truth claims, someone standing up and asserting that there is truth 
even when it's unpopular, even when it might fly in the face of the cultural dictates that surround the individual. We see this in the prophets. We see it in Jesus. Jesus would tell the truth. The prophets told the truth. And you know what often happened? People tried to kill them. Early on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching. He goes into the temple. He stands up. He takes the scroll. It's the prophet Isaiah. He reads from the prophet Isaiah. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is, uh, about the Messiah being the one to bring justice to the poor, release for the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. And Jesus indicts the people for not believing. And you know what they do? They push him out of the temple and they try to push him off a cliff. They want to kill him because he speaks the truth. We see in this scripture that that Sam read for us from, from Luke chapter 12. What does Jesus say? Now friends, this is not warm and fuzzy Jesus. This is not Jesus that you want to cuddle with. This is Jesus who said what? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. But division. Look at this icon. This is an icon from the Eastern Orthodox Church. And here's Jesus with a sword. It's a little jarring, isn't it? This is the one who told Peter to put away his sword after he sliced off Malchus' ear. This is the one that we call the Prince of Peace. And here he is with a sword. Now what can a sword do? A sword can be an offensive weapon, can it? It can inflict great damage. What else can a sword do? It can cut something in half. It can divide. And Jesus, in using this image of of Himself and His ministry, He comes, and often, when His words take hold, when, when the truth of Jesus is placed over and against the truth of the world around him and the world around us, it can bring division. You see, friends, when Jesus comes into a life, when Jesus gets a hold of us, when we turn ourselves over to him, nothing can be the same. It upends everything. Relationships, perspectives, values, priorities, all of that can get turned upside down when Jesus comes, He can shake everything up. And He continues in, in what Sam read that Jesus said, uh, households will be divided. Parents against children and, and, uh, and in-laws against, against uh, children-in-law. Siblings against each other. You see, friends, when Jesus comes into life, when we understand Jesus for who He is, for all that he wants to do, it shakes everything up. And, and false, dysfunctional notions of community and relationships just don't work anymore. You know, in my pastoral ministry, I've, I've journeyed with people who've been in addiction. People who've, who've, uh, who've had difficulty. People who've, say, worked the steps. And you know one of the core things in that whole process is? You have to come to a realization that the way things have been just aren't working. There has to be disruption in the status quo for healing and transformation to occur. And friends, we can extrapolate that out, not just from, uh, say, addiction or the 12 steps, but to all of life. 
Friends, when Jesus comes in and Jesus, through the truth of what he brings, exposes things for what they are. The fake, the disingenuous, the, the, the shallow relationships, the dysfunction, the abuse, it can't stand anymore. And that inherently can bring division. In my pastoral ministry, I've also seen people who will say yes to Jesus and all of his demands on their lives. And it can cause significant disruption in their family. Do we wonder why in three years of public ministry, Jesus had 12 devoted followers? And we know full well about one of those followers, don't we? Is it any wonder? This is hard stuff. This is not warm and fuzzy Jesus. I have come not to bring peace, but division. You see, friends, for peace to be real, for real peace, which in the Old Testament, the word for that is shalom, which is not just a a condition around us where everything is stable and calm. Shalom has to do with one's entire person, body, soul, and spirit, at a state of total and complete rest and union with God. That's the sort of peace that Jesus desires for us. But friends, to get to that peace, sometimes the journey is difficult. Melissa, can you go to the next slide? Christ's peace is costly and many times comes from traveling the path of pain. Friends, I stand before you today, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I can point you to the one who does. I don't have all the answers. There's some days I wake up and I have more doubts and questions than I do certainties. There's some days I get out of bed and I think to myself, okay, why am I doing this again? But friends, having walked difficult paths where I have had to wrestle with God and His call on my life and all that He's wanted to do in and through me, I can tell you, standing here before you today, I have a peace that, that, that didn't come overnight. It's a supernatural peace. But it came through difficulty. It came through confronting untruths about myself and about the world around me. It came through me making the conscious decision. Friends, this is what it takes. Making the decision to walk with Christ day by day and to relinquish, to relinquish control. Friends, how many of us want to control? How many of you are controllers? You know what one of the greatest illusions in life is? That we have control over anything. We don't have control over anything. You know what we have control over? We have control over how we respond to life. We have control over how we respond to life. Friends, I don't know where you are today. Maybe maybe you find yourself like the people to whom Isaiah was speaking. They were living in a time of unrest and uncertainty. They had forsaken God's ways, God's laws, His plan for their life, and they were soon to come under judgment. That's the scripture that, that Sam read, that God was pulling away protection from them, and that they were going to have to face the consequences of their decisions. And here in Jesus as well, speaking to these people, talking about division. 
and that there comes a moment, there comes a time when we evaluate the world around us and our own lives and our own relationships and we make a choice. We're going to allow Jesus Christ into it to be Lord over all of it, to have His way, to say yes to Him and no to ourselves, to allow Him to be the one who shapes and molds relationships around us. Or are we going to insist on our own control, our own way? If we do that, friends, I dare say that is a false peace. Things may look calm on the surface. But it's not the peace that Christ died to give us. Christ's peace is real, friends. But often, to get there, it takes a sword. It takes division. It takes cutting away those things that keep us from ourselves and from God and from each other. It takes the burning fire that purifies, cleanses, and reveals the truth. So friends, today the question, today as always is, are we going to say yes to Jesus? Are we going to say yes to His truth? Are we going to, in this moment, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, say yes to the one who wants to transform our lives? May it be so. Amen.